Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, December 14th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Disney's avalanche of announcements that came last week for uh, Pixar, Marvel, Disney Animation, and Lucasfilm properties. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And, and Ben, you know the skeleton crew at SlashFilm.com when I'm here on a news <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely right. Uh, well, Jacob, yes, it is just you and I today. And um, I think we figured it would be easier to sort of streamline this discussion because Disney announced last week, this was, uh, they, they had their, bis- their big uh, investor day call last week on Thursday. And they announced something in the range of like 50 to 60 projects, uh, some of which we had sort of heard about before. Some of them were brand new to us. So I thought it would be good to sort of uh, break down all of that kind of stuff, like talk about the ones that, that really mean a lot to us or, or that we're especially excited about and just sort of give people a, an overview of uh, what is going to be coming their way uh, via the Walt Disney Company over the next many, many years. Uh, a lot of this stuff, some of it even goes all the way out into like 2023 and beyond. So 
Um, yeah, do you want to? Uh, well, actually, Jacob, uh, I, I know you have a, um, a little caveat that you want to give. But before we get to that, what do you think about just the sheer number of things that were announced uh, this week? And then we can get into the specifics. Yeah, there are two takeaways I have from here. Actually, no, I'll take it back. There are three takeaways I have from this presentation. One is that this was the hardest a slash film team has worked <laughs> in a long time. We wrote 33 articles in four hours over the course of this presentation. Uh, and you can read them all if you want to hear more about any of these or watch any footage. They're all on SlashFilm.com. So kudos to everybody. It was a crazy, crazy night. And then we wrote like maybe 10 more articles related to this stuff the next morning. So that's, you know, up somewhere between 30 and 50 articles, about four hours of presentation. So, wow, that, it was a news dump to end all news dumps. Uh, two. We're going to be, I think, I don't know about Ben. I'm pretty excited about a lot of things you are mentioning here. I love Pixar. I love Lucasfilm. I love Marvel. I love Disney Animation. These are companies that make work I enjoy. And when you announce all this stuff at once, it's easy to get overloaded. It's easy to be overwhelmed. And goodness gracious, was it a gauntlet drop of a presentation? There, were, there are things here that have me actively excited and salivating in that fanboy way that they were all guilty of at one point or another, which leads me to my third point which is that we can be excited about Marvel, excited about Lucasfilm, excited about Star Wars and superheroes and Pixar, and still acknowledge that you know Disney not always has the best interest of <laughs> the world uh, and the entertainment industry on uh, its mind. Disney wants to grow and be more powerful and appeal to its shareholders. This was not even like a Comic-Con panel. This was an investor's day. This was meant to uh, be a flex for people who invest in Disney and a flex for people who want to make more money by Disney creating quote-unquote content. Uh, so that's been the conversation since Thursday about, you know, Disney versus, you know, being excited for Disney, uh, whether or not you being excited for a Marvel movie means you're all in on, you know, supporting a uh, a massive corp uh, corporation that mm -hmm. may not always have the best interests of its employees in the world, you know, at mine. It's not to say people who work for Disney are bad people, but it's it's healthy to be skeptical of a company as big as Disney. So even though we're going to spend a lot of this podcast being very excited about Marvel, excited about Star Wars, because I, I know I am, I just want to get that out of there, that it's it's okay to like this stuff, but also acknowledge that, hey, uh, it's okay to criticize Disney. It, they're not unimpeachable. I, just want, I think it's important to say it, it, up front here. Yeah, I think that's a, a definitely a good caveat as we head into this conversation. So Jacob, I've broken it out into uh, four distinct or five distinct groups. We'll talk about um, Walt Disney Animation first and then go into Lucasfilm Pixar, Marvel, and then you know just basically touch on a couple little odds and ends at the end of the conversation, little things that that sort of don't fall into those main um, you know content silos or however you want to describe the stuff. But yeah, I think it's important to note also, like as you were saying, this was a a flex by Disney. This is you know we've spent the past several days on the podcast um, and and in you know internally on Slash Film and the entire like basically the entire entertainment industry has been talking about HBO max and their big decision to send its 2021 release slate to theaters and uh, to the, the, or Warner Brothers to, to send its release slate to theaters and to HBO Max uh, at the same time. And that was a news story that dominated um, the conversation for uh, many, many days in a row. And this is just proof that Disney is playing the long game, I think. I mean, like we we're saying, they've announced content all the way out, you know, 2023 and beyond. So let's get into some of that. Um, let's start off with yeah, Walt Disney you, Animation. You said content instead of 
films and television. What, what, what have they done to us? What have they done I to know. us? Then? I know, I know, I hate it. Uh, but yes, that, <laughs> some of that uh, corporate speak, unfortunately, does seem to because we hear it so much covering the stuff does does tend to seep into my day to day conversation, and I I'll, hate myself sorry, I'll, every time I'll, I know. I'll never about forget JJ Abrams at Comic Con being asked somebody in the audience. Why? Uh, what's your biggest appeal? Or I'm going to paraphrase the question. But what do you love most about the Star Wars IP? J.J. Abrams standing there, pausing for a moment, then saying, "Well, I would never call it IP." <laughs> I, felt, <laughs> I realized that what, what have we done? We have trained people to call the things we love content and IP instead of yeah. movies or films. Yeah, it's kind of sad. But l- l- let's talk about some happy things here, Jacob. Yeah, let's, let's talk about uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, which is a movie that I think you and I are both looking forward to. This is um, Walt Disney Animation's next big original film. And the news uh, on this front is that this movie is being released in theaters and on Disney Plus uh, in March. And this is taking the Mulan uh, tactic. They are going to release this under their Premier Access tier, uh, which means that you're going to have to pay a little bit extra on top of your Disney Plus subscription to um, to access this title. Uh, and I think the fee is $34.99. So uh, what do you make of this, Jacob? Yeah, I mean, it's it's clear. Uh, even with the vaccine rolling out for COVID-19, it, people aren't ready to go to theaters in March when this is scheduled to hit. It's the smart move. It's the, it's the only possible... It's the only possible wise move from companies as big as Disney. Trying to put this thing in the theaters and say it's safe in March is not going to work. Uh, we saw the Crudes too, Ben. The Crudes too. No one saw the Crudes too in theaters, <laughs> even though there's no co- there's no competition and families are are starving for for stuff to watch. So it's you know I don't like the idea of paying thirty five dollars to watch Ride and the Last Dragon early, but unlike Mulan, I have enough faith in Disney Animation, modern Disney Animation, to produce a good movie. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm actually going to pay this money. I'm going to pay my $35 to watch Ryan the Last Dragon and bemoan that we'll be able to see in theaters. I think this movie looks really good, and and I'm excited about it. I think it's the first Disney animation movie that they've made uh, or at least finished uh, during quarantine. Um, but, but, you know, from the trailers and stuff that we've seen, it doesn't look like they missed a beat at all. So, uh, you know, they, they've released some footage and stuff, and, and I think we, you can probably find that linked in, uh, in the, the articles uh, all over SlashFilm.com. So if you want to check out more about that movie, um, we don't have time to get into like a, an in-depth thing about every single one of these uh, topics because there's just so much to cover on today's show. The biggest so, podcast um, notes list I've ever seen. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. It took so long to put this together and just like actually provide the links for all these things. So if you want to just, yeah, open the, the show notes for whatever uh, podcast player you're listening this to, you know, you're listening to this in, uh, you can navigate your way and, and find out more information about every single one of these topics. So uh, let's move on to uh, Moana and The Princess and the Frog. There are going to be sequel shows for both of these uh, titles heading to Disney+. Plus. Um, we don't really have any details about really either one of them. We know that um, Moana is supposed to be a long-form musical comedy series that's coming out in 2023. And then uh, Tiana is a sequel to The Princess and the Frog. And we don't I think we just know that it's going to be following Tiana as she serves as a real princess. Um, and Chris, who wrote the article about this, mentioned that like he thought the princess and the frog was just fine. But the moment that the main character turns into a frog, it kind of lost him a little bit. And I uh, and he, he basically says like he, he predicts that maybe this show will fare a little bit better since it's probably going to avoid that. Like the you know, the word frog is not in the title. Um, this is about Tiana, the character. And I really liked Tiana, the character before she turned into the frog, much like Chris. So uh, this one's going to be on Disney Plus in 2022. And I, I also have high hopes for this. I'm, I'm wondering, I don't think they mentioned 
anything about whether or not it's going to be, you know, done in that, that same hand-drawn animation style that um, the Princess and the Frog movie was. But, uh, I mean, what do you think about both of these announcements, Jacob, the Moana and Tiana? Uh, Moana owns and owns hard. It's my favorite <laughs> of the modern uh, Disney animation films. Uh, so a series that can hopefully capture that same uh, sense of wonder and humor and adventure. Uh, I'm all for it, especially since they emphasize musical in the description here. A, you know, Moana series where they're actually original songs written for each episode sounds great. Uh, I mean, I doubt they get Lin-Manuel Miranda back for the series. He's a busy, busy man working on other Disney projects, but. Yeah, I it, wonder about The Rock, too. Like, if they're going to be able to get him back. Um, I, know, I yeah, those, I Disney Plus shows look expensive, man. Mandalorian Marvel shows, that look, maybe they'll have the money to pay The Rock. Who, who knows? Yeah. Uh, I hope to get all them back. I hope the songs are good. And I'm all for spending more time in that world, getting to know those characters and hopefully encountering more monsters and creatures in the high seas. And <laughs> I asked a question about Tiana. I agree. I think, I think Prince and the Frog is strongest when the characters are human, which is a very strange thing to say about the princess and the frog. And knowing that Disney is doubling down on diversity, uh, which is corporate speak for trying to not fall apart in year 2020, but is creator speak for taking a personal responsibility and telling stories that matter. Uh, between this, between Tiana the show and Splash Mountain, a Disney theme park ride being rethemed around Princess the Frog characters, uh, I think Disney sees a big future in Tiana. Sees a big future in a black Disney princess, and I say good on that, good on them, and all power to them. Just please make it hand hand drawn because I don't want to see Tiana in CG. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of spending more time in uh, in familiar worlds, um, let's talk a little bit about Baymax and Zootopia Plus. These are two more shows from Walt Disney Animation. Uh, Jennifer Lee, who's the president of that company, announced that the studio's first ever animated series is called Baymax, and it is basically going to center on the character from uh, the Big Hero 6 movie. And it is going to follow Baymax's original protocol, which is to be a nurse robot. So he is just going to cruise around the futuristic city of San Francisco and uh, basically going to encounter a new person every uh, episode, a new patient that he can ultimately try to help. Um, so uh, let's talk about that first, Jacob. What do you think about uh, Big Hero 6? That's a movie for me. I'll just go first real quick. I, I feel like the um, the idea, that's a movie, that's a perfect example of a movie that I liked a lot when I was watching it and I have not given it a second thought since. Um, I think the the setting that San Francisco uh, mix blending of cultures and and um, architectural structures and and how they were able to lay that out uh, is probably the strongest thing about that. It's probably the the one I guess aside from Baymax the character who was like cute and probably sold a crap ton of toys for Disney when Big Hero Six came out um, is probably like the most iconic thing from the Big Hero Six movie. So I'm not surprised that both Baymax and that setting are going to be you know resurrected uh, in in TV form. But what do you think about that? The weirdest thing here is that there was a Big Hero Six animated series on Disney Channel or Dis or Disney XD, one of those two. I never watched it. Yeah, and it's weird that they're. I wonder if that's canon. I don't know how the Big Hero Six canon is and. I know kids love this. Big Max is very popular. He moved a lot of merch, as you said. I can't say I'm like super excited, but I'm also not mad that Big Max, who's a character built, a superhero character built on helping others and being a loving, tender figure. If mm -hmm. that's who we're going to put forward as the lead from a bunch of kids instead of, you know, anybody else, all power to you, Big Max. I won't watch you. I'm glad kids will. 
<laughs> yeah, I think both of these shows are probably going to be more geared towards kids. Um, the Zootopia Plus show, which is such a weird name for for a, uh, <laughs> a series, but it, it kind of seems like they're doing this meta thing where they're they're looking at shows within the world of Zootopia. So it's like, I, I mean, I don't know why they would call it Zootopia Plus, but um, but maybe it's like a nod to the Disney pl- the Plus and Disney Plus. I don't know. Every other have- service has Plus in it, so clearly Zootopia is a mirror world of our own. Has to have its own Plus network. Yeah, I think that must be it. Um, so it's going to be looking at these fictional shows within the Zootopia world, like the Real Housewives of Little Rodentia, which I don't know if kids are really going to understand that kind of stuff. If this is indeed aimed at children, uh, so you think you can prance is another one of these fake shows within the show. Um, so yeah, anyway, you'll be able to, to check that out, uh, in, in spring of 2022. And then, uh, let's see. Oh, I guess on the feature side, um, Encanto is a new, uh, animated musical that Walt Disney Animation is producing that is going to be coming to, I think theaters, maybe they didn't specify in fall theaters, 2021. Yeah. Uh, they did say theaters. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm willing for someone to email and yell at me and say I'm incorrect, but Encanto from what I can tell is being aimed for it is a theatrical release. Okay. Yeah. So some of this stuff, and and again, all of this is linked in the show notes. So please, you know, if you want more information, check it out there. But a lot of this stuff is, it was mentioned um, as being, you know, specifically for Disney plus, And then some of it was sort of left uh, ambiguous about how exactly they were going to handle the rollout, which I think makes a lot of sense. You know, there's no point in committing to something when everything can be so fluid, um, you know, in 2021, hopefully as the as the vaccine rolls out and more people are, are willing to go back to theaters, um, maybe Disney will, because this, they're one of the few studios that actually has the power to do this, will actually try to put more of a, uh, a, a focus on the theatrical experience and get that back you know, up and running in, in people's minds. So um, if you want to read more about Encanto, you can do that at the link, but it's, it's basically a, it's set in uh, the country of Colombia where a magical family live in a magical home. And I think that's, basically all we know about the story but lin-manuel miranda music uh, and after moana uh, i am that's that tells me it sells a ticket already i i'm really excited that this is going to be an ongoing partnership because moana's songs really are that good yeah yeah definitely okay so with walt disney animation under our belts jacob let's transition into lucasfilm we're talking about star wars this is um uh, you know obviously a property that a lot of people want to hear about i think the biggest news for me personally was uh the announcement of star wars rogue squadron which is a new movie that is coming out that uh, will be directed by patty jenkins who directed the two wonder woman films and this is a they shared uh or i guess patty jenkins herself shared on her twitter account a little video of her talking about how she's the daughter of a great fighter pilot. And she, you know, as a kid uh, spent some time on, you know, the tarmac and, and watched jets fly overhead. And, and it has always been sort of um, mesmerized and, and compelled by uh, the imagery of fighter pilots and, and always wanted to make uh, what she called the greatest fighter pilot movie of all time. And she says that she spent years searching for the perfect story and couldn't find it until she came to Lucasfilm and found it in Rogue Squadron, which is going to be a movie that is obviously about the, uh, you know, the, the uh, pilot group, whatever you want to refer to them as. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, she is going to be uh, the first uh, woman to direct uh, a Star Wars feature. Um, I know that, uh, you know, uh, there was, a, what is her name? Uh, Victoria. Uh, how did some Mandalorian? Uh, right, right. 
and and Bryce Dallas Howard as well. Um, and there was a second unit director on on Rise of Skywalker. But yes, like the first you know official, official quote unquote director of uh, of a, a full time you know a, a major uh, theatrical I think Lucasfilm Star Wars movie is going to be Patty Jenkins. So Jacob, what do you think about that? Uh, Patty Jenkins is great, and that video she uh, posted of her suiting up in a pilot's uniform and walking toward an X-Wing while sharing stories of her late father and how she wants to make the ultimate pilot movie. Uh, we talked about a lot about flexes, about Disney flexing its corporate muscles to this presentation. This was a creative flex. This was Patty Jenkins on top of the world, having just finished Wonder Woman 1984, collecting a major paycheck uh, from that because of the HBO Max deal that her, she, she landed with Gal Gadot. Could have done anything in the world. She could have made any movie she wanted. And here she is walking into, walking into a Star War. And making a video where she's wearing a freaking <laughs> Star Wars pilot uniform. Like, how, like, how, what a boss move from her. You should watch yeah. this video if you haven't seen it yet. But yeah, as somebody who played the Rogue Squadron video games uh, growing up, uh, especially the N64 one, and is aware of Rogue Squadron being like you know, the elite pilots for the rebellion, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm really curious to see if this is set during the original, you know, Galactic Civil War, the original trilogy, or hopefully uh, post you know, that trilogy, you get to see the Rogue Squadron, you know, in a different era doing different things. Uh, I don't know when, we don't know when this is set and that's exciting. All we know is it's 2023. It's Patty Jenkins. It's a pilot movie. It's about, you know, the men and women in the cockpit. And as somebody who loves Last Jedi and loves the supernatural side of Star Wars, but also really appreciated how like Rogue One, for example, was about, you know, men and women without superpowers, you know, living, breathing, dying for a cause. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what Patty Jenkins, who has a clear personal stake in this kind of storytelling, wants to bring this. Because like I said, she could have done anything. She went to Star Wars. Yeah. In a really weird way there. She could have done anything, but she went to Star Wars. And that to me is exciting. Absolutely. And and there's this one moment during this uh, panel where uh, Kathleen Kennedy, who's the president of Lucasfilm, said that uh, this story will introduce us uh, to a, a new generation of starfighter pilots as they earn their wings and risk their lives in a boundary pushing high speed thrill ride. And she mentioned that this movie will, quote, move us into a future era of the galaxy. But I don't know whether that means a future era, like literally a future era of the galaxy, like time, you know, a time beyond the rise of Skywalker. Or if that just means, you know, now that we have a woman directing a Star Wars movie, um, you know, we're as a as a company, we're moving into the future. So it's sort of unclear there. But yeah, hopefully we'll find out more details about this one soon. Yeah, that's why but, I didn't um, specify uh, earlier because I, I I could not translate that. That was corporate speak or not. But yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a very choice use of non-words mm-hmm. yeah um so uh the mandalorian is probably the biggest thing going in the star wars universe right now and lucasfilm announced two spin-offs of that show that john favreau and dave filoni are uh, developing at the same time and they're taking basically the the old um marvel netflix deal if you remember that they announced you know a bunch of uh, individual shows and they were all, all these different characters you know iron fist and daredevil and the punisher all of these characters were supposed to uh, and did, in fact, meet up in a a sort of event series called The Defenders. And uh, Star Wars is taking that same approach here. So they announced that uh, there are two new shows coming. One is called Ahsoka, which is uh, starring Rosario Dawson, who is going to be reprising her role of uh, Ahsoka Tano from The Mandalorian. And it's, this show is going to be set within the timeline of The Mandalorian. And then there's another show called Rangers of the New Republic, which is also a new original series set within the timeline of The Mandalorian. And uh, both of these shows are going to 
the quote was, they're going to intersect with future stories and culminate into a climactic story event. So it sounds very much like the the old Defenders model there. Um, Jacob, what do you think about this? Uh, we saw Ahsoka coming. I mean, ever since Slashfilm broke the news that Rosario Dawson was going to be playing the live action version of the character, we've been sort of waiting for this announcement to come. And here it is. Uh, clearly, the intent here is to continue the story of Star Wars Rebels, uh, which ended with a bit of a cliffhanger with Ahsoka on a mission. And I think we're going to see that continue in live action. And Rangers New Republic, we know even less about. We can't even speculate too much. There are rumors that it will be uh, the Cara Dune character. Gina Carano is currently in extremely hot water for over over bad tweets, then doubling down on bad tweets, then tripling down on bad tweets. Uh, so people are wondering if this is a Cara Dune show, uh, if it will still be a Cara Dune show <laughs> after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard some other speculation that uh, Timothy Oliphant's character from uh, the series could be the lead here. And I love me some Oliphant, and I love Oliphant when he's uh, in full-on cowboy mode, and cowboy Oliphant in the uh, outer rim of Star Wars sounds pretty appealing. So between the two, if I had to choose between uh, Oliphant and Ahsoka, I'd go Oliphant simply because Justified in Space sounds a good sounds like a show I would watch. Yeah. Whereas I know people who are passionate about Ahsoka are really excited for that. I don't have that uh, that passion or connection, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that her story gets to keep going on. All right. Uh, so there's uh, several other Star Wars shows that were announced. It's, I mean, so much stuff. It, like you mentioned, it's it's kind of overwhelming when you step back and look at just the sheer number of things that were mentioned. But uh, in the Star Wars universe, we have more things that were announced. So um, Justin Simeon, who created Dear White People, the movie and the, the excellent Netflix show, is developing a series called Lando. Uh, It's unclear right now if this is going to be a prequel show that brings back Donald Glover or if it is also going to involve um, Billy Dee Williams, maybe a combination of both. Uh, They didn't specify which actor was going to be wearing the cape in in this new show. Um, but Simeon in the Star Wars universe is is really exciting for me. I'm I'm a big fan of uh, pretty much everything that he's done so far. we have the Acolyte, which is the name of the uh, series that uh, is is in the works from uh, Leslie Headland, from uh, who created Russian Doll. And this show, we actually have a, a very brief synopsis of. Uh, it is described as a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. So uh, that's really exciting because it's it's basically like new stuff. Um, it doesn't sound like there's much connection to. Um, you know, basically anything that we've seen before, which is something that a lot of us have been uh, clamoring for when when it comes to new Star Wars stuff. Um, there's a show called Star Wars Visions, which is going to be uh, a, a basically animated a collection of animated short films uh, told through the lens of the world's best Japanese anime creators. And then finally, there is another series called A Droid Story which is going to uh, be an epic journey that will introduce us to a new hero guided by R2-D2 and C-3PO. So it's bringing back those beloved characters from the Skywalker saga. So uh, Jacob, that's a lot to wrap your head around. What do you think about all of these? What is there one that jumps out to you that you're more excited about than the others? Uh, the Acolyte. Uh, Leslie Headland working in this space is very exciting. And like I said, it's a new era. This is a High Republic era. The era is being introduced in the new novels that come out next month. Uh, that's essentially set hundreds of years before the events of Phantom Menace. This is uh, the Republic at the height of its power, the Jedi at the height of their power, before they all <laughs> came crumbling down the dust uh, in the prequel trilogy. And I'm very excited to see uh, this era because I'm not going to read a Star Wars books. I just don't have the time. But yeah. I'm fascinated by expanding the universe in both directions, in the future and the past. And 
uh, Headland is such a, a unique voice, uh, you know, and Russian Doll was so special. And the description there is so evocative of, you know, dark forces rising at the end of a golden era for the galaxy. Uh, I really hope that this is as creepy and as evocative as it sounds. I mean, Lando sounds good. Justin Simeon working with Lando at, at sounds like has possible to be legitly legit great. I hope that they bring back both Don Glover and Billy Dee Williams and to both play old and young Lando and stories that intersect, you know, flashing backwards and forward. That, that'd be my ideal Lando show. But right now, uh, Star Wars Visions and Android Story, sure, fine. But the Acolyte is what really drew my attention as being like, oh, is this what Star Wars could be? Like, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not a Mandalorian spinoff. We're not mm-hmm. playing with familiar territory. We're not, you know, mentioning R2 and C3PO. We're we're in a brand new place where everything has to be new because it, everyone hasn't been born yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that to me is exciting. Yeah, and I'm wondering how you think about uh, or, or what your reaction was to this next bit of news, which is that Hayden Christensen is joining the cast of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. He is coming back, uh, according to Kathleen Kennedy. He will return in the role of Darth Vader. And this is the show that stars Ewan McGregor uh, reprising that role of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, According to Kennedy, the show begins 10 years after the dramatic events of Revenge of the Sith, where he faced his greatest defeat, the downfall and corruption of his best friend and Jedi apprentice Anakin Skywalker turned evil Sith Lord Darth Vader. Uh, She also mentioned that this show is going to feature, quote, the rematch of the century between Obi-Wan and Vader. So uh, that's all we really know. We know production begins in March of this coming year. So, um, you know, on paper, it's like, oh, wow, Hayden Christensen is returning to the Star Wars universe. But like, once you think about this for a second and think about how Return of the the Jedi, or I'm sorry, Revenge of the Sith uh, ended, and, you know, it's in this weird sort of nebulous period where we haven't really seen much of Darth Vader before, and I'm just wondering, you know, is is it going to be like Darth Vader walking around without his helmet on? Because <laughs> at, at, you know, at a certain point, like you have to, you hire Hayden Christensen for a reason. And then like, what are they going to do about the voice? Like, are they going to try to get James Earl Jones to come back and, and provide that voice? Or are they just going to try to, you know, digitally alter Christensen's voice to sound like that? And that's going to be kind of weird too. What do you, what do you make of all this, Jacob? Uh, what I make of this is I think we're going to see a lot of Vader in his little healing pod with his helmet off <laughs> okay. in heavy makeup. I don't think they're going to alter his voice. If they can't get James Earl Jones back, they'll get an imitator. They'll put a bodybuilder and a tall person in that suit for all the most of the scenes. And we'll, and we'll see a lot more of Vader chilling out, looking messed up with his helmet off, where his voice will sound normal because as he's on Return of the Jedi, when the helmet comes off, the voice is back to not mm-hmm. booming status. And our, our own Brian Young, our contributor, uh, who know who's on this podcast uh, every Friday for the Mandalorian recaps. He has forgotten more about Star Wars than I'll ever know. He wrote an article for us this morning, uh, went up this morning, uh, about how not only is this possible for these two to have met and fought again between uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, but how uh, you can actually reverse engineer some dialogue to uh, make it fit perfectly, should you choose to. So I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested to see where this goes. I, I do... I have read some of Star Wars comics that um, are set uh, after the events of um, Revenge of the Sith. There's there's two Star Wars ones that follow Darth Vader in particular. One that's set in between New Hope and Empire. And one, the more recent one, which is set directly after Revenge of the Sith and follows how he learns to be Darth Vader. Uh, so I'm curious to see how and if this show dances around the continuity of that comic series. Because they are supposed to be canon. 
Interesting. All right. Well, I'll try to link to Brian's piece about that uh, in in the show notes as well, because I have not read that article yet. And that sounds fascinating. The, the, I think, you know, a lot of people are arguing in the comments section about how this doesn't really make a lot of sense because it seemed like, you know, the, the those two characters had not met for a long, long time when they crossed blades in uh, A New Hope. But yeah, it sounds like Brian may have found a, a loophole there that they can uh, exploit. So uh, let's blast through the last two entries in the Lucasfilm thing. Basically, they showed a little teaser for uh, Andor, which is the Diego Luna spy series where he reprises his role as Cassian Andor. You can watch that. Um, it's basically just a lot of behind-the-scenes footage and some concept art, so nothing we can really dig into here. Except uh, Luna is very handsome. Uh, yes, role. a very handsome Very man, handsome, very charming man. Um, <laughs> and you know what? I'm, I'm a Rogue One fan. I'm one of the people who actually likes Rogue One, so I say bring it on. Bring on the spy <laughs> stories to set in the Rebellion. And then uh, Indiana Jones 5 was confirmed as the final film in the adventure franchise. So that's an interesting thing um, because, you know, when Disney purchased Lucasfilm, we sort of assumed that Indiana Jones would be another one of those franchises that Lucasfilm just runs into the ground, uh, much like they seem to be doing with Star Wars here after, you know, announcing this this straight up, you know, uh, metric ton of Star Wars related content coming out soon. Uh, There I go again with that word content, Jacob, I apologize. Um, But uh, we know now that Indiana Jones 5 is going to be the final film. So you know, does that mean that as soon as this is done or maybe even before it actually uh, comes out that they're going to announce a Disney Plus TV series starring Indiana Jones? Probably. Uh, yeah, but in terms of absolutely the... getting more Indiana Jones. Will, <laughs> right. There'll we'll be a grace period. They may even wait for Harrison Ford to die, which will take a long time because he's, he's freaking immortal. He, he survived more plane crashes than I have survived falls. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yes, I, I do think Indiana Jones is not gone forever. This is the end of Harrison Ford's time with the character for sure. Uh, and Disney will bide its time and, and watch the, watch the stock of Indiana Jones rise uh, after this and wait and it will happen. Uh, okay. So let's move into Pixar. We got a lot to cover still. So uh, there's a buzz, a buzz Lightyear origin story coming out called Lightyear. And this, uh, I, I believe Pete doctor who's running um, Pixar. Now he said, if Buzz the toy is based on an actual sci-fi character, this is that character. So it's sort of a movie about the the, 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 movie, the movie, movie Andy watched to get excited about Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I know there was a lot of uh, confusion about about what exactly this is supposed to be about because of some poor wording from Chris Evans, who is going to be voicing this Buzz Lightyear character. Um, you know, Jacob, I love Toy Story. It's one of, if not my absolute favorite Pixar movie. It's definitely in the you know top three for me. It's it's one of my favorite animated movies of all time. I love Tim Allen's portrayal of of Buzz Lightyear in, especially in that first movie. Uh, this feels, you know, as excited as I should be for this, and and I love Chris Evans too. This feels like one of those sort of more crass decisions that. Um, like this is what Pixar is doing. Like I, I know that they, you know, they seem to have brought the Toy Story franchise to an end, and this seems like a, a way for them to continue that and and you know essentially exploit this piece of intellectual property for a little bit longer. Um, but it, this one just seemed a little bit more crass to me than some of the other announcements that came out of of that presentation. Do you agree with that, or am I being too harsh here? I don't disagree, but I'm also not going to bet bet against Pixar here. Because one thing Pete Doctor said in the presentation that stuck with me is that before you said the name Lightyear, you talked about Pixar making a full-fledged science fiction adventure movie. And I thought about like The Incredibles, The Incredibles 2. They are not like 
goofball comedies that are making fun of superhero mo- superhero movies. They are actual superhero stories, well told, that rival the best that anybody else makes superhero movies have done. And if Pixar's storytelling machine, if those geniuses, those animators, those writers want to make a science fiction adventure, and they need to put Buzz Lightyear as the main character to make it happen, I want to see that. I want to see the science fiction adventure Pixar movie. So I'm I'm feeling good about this. Okay. Yeah, I hope you're right. Uh, so in the other movie that Pixar announced is a film called Turning Red, which is going to be directed by uh, Domi Shi, who made the, the short Bow. And um, this film follows a character named May, who is a young teenager who is going through the whole awkwardness of, of what being a teenager is like. But there's a twist there. And the, the twist is when she gets too excited, she transforms into a giant red panda. <laughs> so uh, that's a pretty fun concept. And that's one of those things that I, you know, on the exact opposite end of the spectrum, this is the kind of like brand new original thing that I, I feel like Pixar should be doing. Um, so I, I'm, as of right this second, more excited about this. But uh but yeah, you may have sold me there a little bit, Jacob. So I, hopefully yeah. <laughs> uh, Lightyear, you know, does not end up being, uh, you know, as crass in its final uh, iteration as it seems on paper right now. But. Yeah, this seems like a really cute idea. And I love that, you know, uh, Bao was well-received, uh, like critically and commercially. People dug that short and they, they're giving the director her movie. And I think that's what Pixar is about, like letting these voices grow and I mean, it's a shame HD isn't here because Turning Red sounds anime as hell. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Sure like to say about that. Uh, but I, I, I love that there's this straight up anime presence coming to a major Pixar movie uh, from an Asian American director. I'll, I'll, I'll power everybody involved in this decision, honestly. Okay, so um, the other Pixar item is that they have announced three new TV shows that are coming to uh, Disney+. Plus. One is called Doug Days, which follows the uh, Doug the Dog character from the movie Up!, uh, another one is a Cars TV show, which uh, follows Lightning McQueen and Mater on a road trip across the country. Um, it's going to have some familiar characters, some newer characters, and uh, quote-unquote imaginative destinations involved. So that one's coming in fall of 2022. And then finally, there is a show called Win or Lose, which is another original series that I'm kind of excited about, although I don't know if this is another one that's going to be sort of aimed more towards kids. Um, but uh, on paper, it sounds pretty good. So um, it is Pixar's very first long-form animated series, which is going to follow a co-ed middle school softball team in the week leading up to their championship game and evidently it's inspired by conversations that the pixar animators had amongst themselves who frequently had very different reactions to the same events so each episode in the series is going to be told from uh basically the the perspective of a different character um and it's a comedy about love rivalry and the challenges that we all face as we struggle to win at life so that's called win or lose and it's coming in fall 2023 what do you think about that jacob uh win or lose sounds very interesting i love that there's an original concept amongst the pixar shows not just you know revisiting characters we already know and like or in case of cars characters who sell a lot of toys um <laughs> yes win or lose sounds like a, with each episode being the same week from the perspective it, it, it could really be a chance to really you know, try different storytelling muscles and do different tones and genres. And that's very exciting. Look, I have nephews. I know how big Cars is. Those movies, I will never like them. But they're also, kids adore that crap, man. They love it so yeah, much. They uh, do. So I don't blame you know anybody involved for saying, if we, if we make a Cars series, we can pay for win or lose. I feel like that's the kind of conversation yeah. I feel like they have here. Uh, but also, uh, I love Up. I love Doug the Dog. And they showed footage from the first episode. And... I was sold. It was super cute and super funny. And I would not have been sold if I'd not seen the footage. So I'm, I'm ready for Doug days. 
Okay. All right, Jacob, let's transition into Marvel, which is the oh, best, the, the last uh, big um, section that we have here. Um, I've got to say that yes. Kevin Feige appearing on that screen, and in maybe the course of 15 or 20 minutes, dropped so many bombshells that we were trying to write up in real time. I think Kevin Feige is my worst enemy. He, <laughs> he wanted to give me a heart attack. He wanted to kill us. Uh, they should create a Marvel comic where it's you versus Kevin Feige. Um, <laughs> I, I would read it. Uh, okay, so <laughs> let's get through uh, some of the, let's start with the movie stuff and then we'll get into the Disney Plus uh, TV of, of it all. So um, a couple little news items here uh, to talk about. Black Panther 2 will not recast T'Challa in the wake of Chadwick Boseman's death. Um, it seems like Kevin Feige wants to honor the memory of Chadwick Boseman. And um, I mean, this really seems to back Ryan Coogler into a corner creatively. I He says that, uh, Feige says that Coogler is still hard at work on the script right now, and the movie still has a, a release date, a theatrical release date, of course, on uh, July 8th, 2022. What a creative challenge this must be for Ryan Coogler. Not only somebody who was friends with Chadwick Boseman, who worked with him closely and, and you know, who's... The, the, who feels that loss probably more potently than a lot of other people, even within Marvel. Um, but to now have to uh, basically engineer an entirely different movie um, without the T'Challa character in a significant way. I mean, God, I, I just can't imagine how difficult that must be. But uh, what yeah. do you think about this decision, Jacob? Because I know there's been some controversy, some some uh, you know back and forth from the fandom like uh, about which way they should go here. Yeah, I mean, this is a damn if you, damn if you don't. There, there was no way the decision was going to make anybody all over the world completely happy. And I imagine Feige has a conversation with Googler. I imagine they had a conversation with the Black Panther family and with uh, Bozeman's family, possibly. I mean, this was not an easy decision to make. And I mean, if you want to get nerdy for a second, there is, you know, precedent in the Marvel comics for, uh, uh, for Black Panther's sister, Shuri, to take over the mantle and become Black Panther. That's happened in the pages there. They can make that the new plot. Uh, but it's one of those things where, you know, an entire community of people finally got a movie that they've wanted for literally decades and fate dealt them this piss fucking hand and it makes me angry to think about it and i don't know how i feel about this i don't know how i would have felt about t'challa being recast i don't know how i feel about him you know being retired as a character because of bozeman's death i mean is t'challa bigger than bozeman i i don't know i mean i do not know and this is i'm i'm not in the position to make a you know comprehensive statement about this mm -hmm. but I, I do think that i I cannot imagine how difficult this, this decision was either way for Coogler, for Feige, for everybody involved in this. This, I think it does speak to, you know, a, a lot of times, um, you know, when we take a, a macro view of Disney, and this speaks to what you're talking about in the very beginning of our conversation about like Disney as a corporate entity, and, and sometimes they make decisions that feel, um, you know, inhuman, uh, to be com completely frank. Um, I, I think we've had a lot of conversations in the past about how like, you know, the especially within the Marvel system, the actors are not necessarily the stars. The characters are the stars, and this seems like a uh, maybe the first big opportunity that that Marvel has had to um, to prove that that's true, to prove that our cynicism was well founded. And they actually surprised me here. I think if you look at it from that angle, the fact that they are not just recasting and saying, you know, um, uh, essentially like you know, this guy did great for us, but the character is the thing that matters here. They're, they're putting humanity first. And I, again, I don't want to like make it seem like Disney is this, uh, you know, that, that I'm 
that I'm I'm praising them too much, but I, I do think that uh, you know because on a certain level this is like the most basic human decision that they could have made. But the fact that they made it at all, I guess, says something. Um, so you know, there's that. Take that what you will. The devil's advocate argument would be that the best way to honor him would be to continue his work, let another actor wear that mantle, and continue being an important icon for people. That's another argument I've heard and one that I've thought about. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know which one's the right decision. If you, uh, if if it's better to honor him by retiring the character, better to honor him by, you know, letting his legacy live on uh, and let another black actor take that position. I, I don't know, Ben. I don't know. I, I yeah. don't. I, I'm not going to sit here and say I know because I don't. Yeah, it's a tough one, and and our hearts especially go out to Ryan Coogler, who must be just like working his ass off in in not ideal conditions right now. So, um, okay, let's move on. Let's let's talk about Fantastic Four, Jacob. I, I know you love Fantastic Four, and they I confirmed do. that a Fantastic Four movie was in the works. Who was going to be directing this? Uh, John Watts, the director of a little movie called Cop Car. <laughs> I saw Cop Car. I actually like that movie a lot. But... <laughs> uh, but he also, of course, directed Spider Man: Homecoming and Spider Man: Far From Home. And yeah, Fantastic Four, are, they're, they're my team. I, I love them. And they've, they've had uh, a number of movies over the years, all of which have been bad. Uh, if you include the Roger Corman produced debacle from the 90s, never saw a proper release. The two Tim Story movies from the 2000s that both suck. And the uh, the Josh Trank disaster, like serious disaster. If you guys have actually seen that movie or, or endured it, it's a true, truly horrendous movie. And Fantastic Four are Marvel's first family. They're you know, for people who are exposed to radiation in space, get powers, and they're really uh, this sort of found family, this sort of misfits. Uh, the, over the years, they, you know, they've grown tighter. Uh, there have been marriages in the team. There have been children. Uh, they've expanded to have an entire building's worth of maniacs and allies who back them up. And I guess what so many people got wrong with these characters is that it's this blend of high science fiction and genuine pathos. I mean, Fantastic Four are not the most powerful beings in the Marvel Universe, and the best Fantastic Four stories have been science fiction adventures about wonder and curiosity and doing the impossible from a scientific point of view, and then, yes, punching it when you have to. And uh, the stories about family and how families come in so many different shapes, sizes, and ideas. And Watts, I mean, I really like the Spider-Man movies. I think Homecoming's better than Far From Home, but I think his blend of uh, humor and drama, the way you can walk those uh, tight wires, makes him a really solid fit for Fantastic Four. And I'm excited to see how they bring this into the Marvel Universe, especially since it's going to be very strange to introduce Marvel's first family <laughs> this late uh, into the timeline. So all I can say is uh, also bring back Doctor Doom, please, the best Marvel villain who has also been done real dirty on the big screen. <laughs> All right, so the next uh, Marvel project that we have to talk about is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is the official title of Ant-Man 3. Uh, we know that Paul Rudd is going to be coming back. Evangeline Lilly is back. Uh, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer are also back. And I think those are the only cast members that they um, officially... Wait, no, that's not true. Catherine, uh, Newton. Catherine Newton, yes. Um, Replacing who... Cassie Lang. Remember how Cassie Lang was recast as five years older in Avengers Endgame for two shots? Well, she's gone, that actress. And Catherine Newton from Big Little Lies and Freaky is the new Cassie Lang. Uh, ben, can I say why I think this is a big deal? Yes, please do. Uh, because in the comics, Cassie Lang is a young Avenger. She takes her father's technology. And along with um, Kate Bishop, a.k.a. the uh, Haley Steinfeld's character from the Hawkeye TV series, and numerous other young characters creates their own team of teenage superheroes when the adult team falls apart. And our own uh, uh, Hytran Bowie wrote about this for the site, 
but between them casting a rising star as a new Cassie Lang, uh, casting Haley Steinfeld, uh, Hayley, uh, casting Haley Steinfeld uh, mm-hmm. as Kate Bishop, uh, and confirming other characters like uh, America Chavez, a well liked comic character for Doctor Strange too, they're they're really building up a lot of teenage superheroes here, Ben. Uh, Miss Marvel uh, and others we'll soon get to, uh, including Ironheart. Well, spoiler, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, ben. Young Avengers seems to be happening. That seems to be on the way. And they, they did confirm Jonathan Majors as Kane the Conqueror here as the villain for Quantumania. And you don't introduce Kane the Conqueror, one of the biggest Avengers villains of all time, into Ant-Man 3, unless you plan to bring him back in a larger capacity. And guess where Kane the Conqueror has had a major role to play in recent Marvel comics? In Young, Young Avengers. Avengers? Oh, all right. <laughs> so it all comes together. Uh, but yes, I think Catherine Newton's great. And sorry to the, <laughs> to the actress who played her in Endgame. Uh, but they've, they've cast somebody who I think is going to be a bona fide movie star in the next few years because Marvel, if nothing else, knows how to cast the right people in the right roles. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, what do you think about Quantumania? I mean, obviously, the quantum realm has been a big part of the Ant-Man movies, but like Quantumania to me seems like, um, you know, things like it's just chaos. There's just quantum shit going on left and right. And I wonder if that has anything to do with uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. If if there's you know, and then also we know the new Spider-Man movie is going to be featuring the multiverse in some way. Um, the quantum realm seems to be tied to the multiverse in some way so far in in the MCU. So do you think that like one event happens and like uh, there are these you know ripple effects that go out into these individual movies that that end up you know causing this chaos that people are going to have to be jumping through you know <laughs> dimensions and, and universes and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if the Infinity Stones were the first 10 years of Marvel, I think multiverse is the next 10 years. That seems to be the long-term plan. And as somebody who loves my long-term comic book storylines, I am I am stupidly excited about this. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yes, Marvel is turning the movies into big screen TV shows with multi-billion dollar budgets. Yes, I know, but goodness gracious, do I love this freaking TV show, Ben. <laughs> All right, so uh, a prediction that you made a long time ago has actually come to pass, Jacob, which is that Christian Bale, who's going to be playing the villain in Thor Love and Thunder, is going to be playing a specific character that you guessed many, many months ago. Do you want to tell people about that? Yes, I will take credit for this. In January of this year, when Christian Bale was rumored to be joined the cast of Thor 4, I said, huh, he's probably playing uh, He's probably playing uh, Gore the God Butcher. I made Chris put it in his news post. You know, Chris had no idea who Gore the God Butcher <laughs> was. And nearly a year later, Ben, I was correct. Uh, Gore the God Butcher, he's from a recent Thor run. Uh, Jason Aaron, the writer, uh, created him with artist uh, Isad Ribic. And this is from the same run that would later introduce the female version of Thor, the Mighty Thor, who Natalie Portman is playing in the new film. So it's very clear to me that Thor Love and Thunder is a remix of the Jason Aaron run, uh, which spanned many years and was pretty excellent from beginning to end. He recently stepped off the comic maybe a, a year or so ago. Uh, but Gore the God Butcher is the first villain of that arc, and he's an alien creature whose planet is weighed laced by plague and starvation. His whole family dies, and he learns that there are gods, and all their prayers went unanswered. So Gore the God Butcher goes into space, uh, armed to the teeth, and sets out to kill every god he can find. Uh, as wow. For, um, for them not helping his family and his planet. Uh, so he's a very sorrowful, angry, vengeful character who has a chip on his shoulder, but but one that is actually, you know, understandable. He's out to tackle religion and destroy godhood because gods have abandoned their creation, uh, which is terrific. So he's a really terrific villain. And Bale, who's such a serious, compelling, you know, often frightening actor, imagining him in the alien makeup, his gore is this kind of Voldemort-looking alien thing. <laughs> um, uh, I'm knowing how silly 
uh, Ragnarok was. I'm hoping that Taika Waititi lets Gore to God Butcher be as have as much weight as he does in the page because he's a genuinely great Thor villain. Man, I'm excited about that now. That sounds like a, a hell of a concept for a villain. So, uh, Gore the God Butcher, bring it on. Uh, okay, so we mentioned American Chavez earlier. We wrote an article about that. You can read more about that. Let's let's do sort of a, a rapid fire thing, Jacob, because we're getting low on time here. Uh, about the uh, the TV shows, the they showed a bunch of trailers for a lot of the Marvel shows. Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. What did you think about that one? Looks good. Looks like a pretty standard Marvel action movie, but uh, I like those characters. I'm excited to see more. Thumbs up. Yeah, I think I'm I'm like the least excited about that one, but it still looks okay. Like if you like the uh, you know the hand to hand combat kind of action style from the Captain America movies, this definitely looks like more of that. Um, and you know some of the stuff that we've written about uh, in terms of like where this series goes uh, and and how it explores the past of you know the um, the super serum uh, super soldier serum and and sort of the experiments that were performed to perfect that sounds really really interesting and none of that is really on display in this trailer this trailer is more uh, you know, shock and awe in terms of just like action scene after action scene kind of thing. Um, but I, I think there's going to be more to this show than meets the eye. So I'm I'm still sort of like, you know, looking forward to it. But still, uh, the stuff that we saw later in the day um, impressed me much, much more. So let's get to that. Let's get to uh, Loki. What did you make of that trailer? Uh, uh, once again, it's a shame HG couldn't be here because HG and I were geeking out about this trailer all day, day after. <laughs> um uh, after we saw it, because she worked to try to break down for it, we were bouncing off each other when she had questions and uh, clarifications, and we realized something that Loki looks like extremely big budget Marvel Doctor Who, and that won us over mm. so immediately because, as we've talked about in this podcast, plug alert: uh, we, we host a Doctor Who and Star Trek podcast, and Loki looks to be scratching that very specific Doctor Who and Star Trek itch with its time-hopping, dimension-hopping shenanigans combined with wry humor and actual historical events. I think Loki looks wild. I'm all here for it. Yeah, there, I didn't notice this on first first watch, but I think um, maybe Polygon or one of those sites pointed out that, uh, or maybe it was AV Club, that... Um, that Loki seems to be playing uh, or stepping into the DB Cooper role, which <laughs> DB Cooper is this, uh, you know, this guy in, in who, who this famous uh, air pirate basically who like robbed a, 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 what, a 747 or whatever the, the jet was in like the 1960s or something and took a parachute and jumped out and was like never seen again. And I love the idea of Loki being that character because it gives, you know, it, it has that grounding in a real world event and then uh, as the trailer shows, I think it's Heimdall who like, you know, whisks him away through the rainbow bridge or whatever the hell, you know, it, there's a reason uh, in this universe why that character was never seen again. If, you know, if Loki was D.B. Cooper, I thought that was a really clever thing. And uh, I, I definitely look forward to seeing the show. Owen Wilson is in this. Um, so it looks like a lot of fun. I think uh, Tom Hiddleston is going to have a is going to have a great time. It looks like he's just like going all out. I do want to point um, out this is a theory that um, it's been floating around for a while now. There are unconfirmed rumors that Disney confirmed that Richard E. Grant, the wonderful Oscar-nominated actor, uh, who's one of those brilliant guys, um, is in the cast. They didn't say who he's playing, uh, but there is a shot in the trailer of a hooded figure uh, hunting down and killing an alternate universe Captain America. And the rumors that have been going on for months is that Richard E. Grant is playing an evil alternate universe version of Loki, and that the series could be about Tom Hilson's Loki versus Richard E. Grant's Loki. And if that's true, um, I am really on board for this. 
Wow, that sounds kind of incredible. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, Loki, we're excited about that one. Uh, what if this is the? Wait, actually, Slashfilm broke the news that this was going to be a show, and now we've got a full trailer for this. This is an animated series that looks at uh, sort of alternate takes on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You've got Jeffrey Wright, who provides the voice of the Watcher, who's this sort of omniscient character who is looking through all space and time and, and sort of, um, I guess, projecting to the world uh, these sort of alternate events of like, you know, what happens if or what would have happened if uh, instead of Steve Rogers getting the shield and the super serum uh, dose, it was actually Peggy Carter and she becomes essentially the Captain America uh, stand in or, or that kind of character in, in the world. So, uh, Jacob, what do you think about this latest what if trailer? It looks neat. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel the animation. It looks really good in some shots and not so great in others. Uh, but what if stuff is always fun? Alternate universe stuff is always fun. And uh, I love the idea of using animation to explore it. So yeah, sure. I'm, I'm all, I'll, I'll, you know, Ben, I will watch this Marvel show made by the Marvel people. <laughs> Why surprise, surprise. I, Ben? <laughs> okay. Uh, let's talk about WandaVision for a second. This, I think this one looks like the most ambitious, um, you know, on, on, I think Loki looks maybe like the most like a, a big budget Marvel movie, but I think uh, just in terms of ambitious storytelling, WandaVision seems to be the one that holds that title for me, at least based on all of these trailers. Do you agree with that? Yeah, there's something going on with WandaVision. The fact that the trailers cut around the plot uh, in such a mysterious way, and these visuals are so strange and compelling. And the fact that we know it leads directly into Doctor Strange 2, it's this big mystery box. And I'm, you know me, I'm not always a fan of mystery boxes. Sometimes it, they frustrate me. JJ Abrams needs to give us keys, damn it. Uh, but uh, one vision is being sold in a way where I am incredibly curious about what this thing is. And I'm very intrigued to watch the first episode and learn what it's all about. This is a really well cut trailer. If you haven't watched it, you should click through the show notes and watch the yeah. one division trailer. For sure. Uh, so we know that a, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy are getting their own live action holiday special in 2022 before uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 comes out. There's also going to be a an original series called I Am Groot, which features Baby Groot uh, in a, a series of shorts um, featuring several new and unusual characters. Um, I don't know much about the holiday special, but just the idea, you know, it seems like Disney plus is going all in on that concept now. Like the, you know, obviously like the, the star Wars uh, holiday special is like this notorious thing in pop culture history that like is a, a disaster on every level. And everybody's like super embarrassed to be a part of it and you can't even find it really. Uh, but now they just did this Lego, uh, star Wars holiday special. And now they've announced the guardians of the galaxy ho- ho- uh, holiday special. Um, what do you think about this, Jacob? Are you excited about this? Yeah. I mean, the Guardians are such a flexible group of characters because they're rooted in they're sometimes they're rooted in nostalgia, uh, in you know how James Gunn uses music and memory throughout those movies, but also in being bold and fresh and irreverent and different. So they're a perfect combination to make an honest holiday special, one that actually feels like a, a holiday tradition, but also one that takes the piss out of it. Uh, so. Yeah, I think this is such a bizarre concept. And James Gunn wrote on social media that he's been pitching this for years and years and years. So it's pretty been a, a bug up his butt for a little while now. So yeah. yeah, bring it on. Why not? And this, I guess, is supposed to be canon too, which is, I guess, unlike the what if thing, which is sort of like an alternate reality thing. This, I guess, is actually going to maybe take place between the events of Volume 2 and Volume 3. So Look, uh, uh, it, look I'll, if Star-Lord is going to teach Drax the meaning of Christmas, how could you say no to that? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, it'll go over his head, I'm sure. And he'll have some uh, some amusing interpretations of uh, of Christmas traditions. But uh, it sounds entertaining to me. So, you know, like a harmless entertainment show. Will, um, Will Groot wear ornaments? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to throw some lights on him. He's going to get pissed about it. But yeah, he'll just say I'm Groot and then everyone will laugh and laugh and laugh. Uh, OK, so then finally th- there came this big sort of like, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in an in an evening devoted to onslaughts of news. There was a mini onslaught of Marvel news at the very end of this uh, panel. So there are several new shows that are coming that we haven't even talked about yet. So, uh, you know, She-Hulk, we know that uh, Tim Roth is coming back as Abomination. Uh, Mark Ruffalo is going to be showing up as the actual Hulk. Uh, Hulk. Um, Tatiana Maslany is confirmed to be playing the lead character in the show. Despite denying um, it for like eight months now, repeating right. it in the public and press. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, So then uh, Samuel L. Jackson is coming back. You know, there have been reports for a while that a Nick Fury show was in the works and it sounds like it's going to be Secret Invasion, which uh, will also star Ben Mendelsohn from Captain Marvel. He's going to be playing uh, Talos, the scroll character that he played in in that movie. Um, And Secret Invasion is, you know, a huge uh, comics crossover uh, crossover event much in the vein like you know very similar to civil war in terms of like importance uh and yeah we know that a secret invasion show is going to be uh coming which i'm sure has tons of implications for the rest of the universe but these are the kind of announcements that were just thrown out as sort of like offhanded like almost one-offs at the very end just like oh yeah by the way we got this stuff coming too and secret invasion jacob as somebody who you know is much more familiar with that plot line than i am it seems like kind of a a monumental thing to just announce in like a one-off like oh yeah we have this too but you're talking about secret invasion like i think i think there was some (laughs) speculation that like uh the most recent avengers movie might adopt the secret invasion plot line so that's how big of a story we're talking about here right yeah it's really obscene (laughs) How, how uh, they just started tossing all this stuff off. Like, oh, yeah, these things that would have been a major motion picture 10 years ago, even three years ago, are now Disney Plus shows. Uh, Secret Invasion is about the Scrolls having quietly invaded Earth and infiltrated all kinds of people across the Marvel Universe. And it's a very big story. And I don't, it's not that good as a comic. Actually, it's kind of actively bad. I don't like it. Hmm. Uh, but I think the premise is good. And. It seems early, it seems like early days yet. I mean, like we don't even there's no release like release window for it. Not even a year. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I'm, my guess is this is going to be like a 2023. Thing. Well, the, I'm interested in the fact that you said that the comic was not great because this seems like it could be one of the uh, one of the examples of like how Marvel Studios handles Marvel uh, Marvel Comics the the source material and improves on it and and you know puts their own twist on it. It seems like maybe they have the opportunity to improve on what sounds like a, a pretty decent uh, building block there. Yeah. So. I, I also think the Civil War comic is, is, is very bad. So this is, I, yeah. I'm all for Marvel Studios taking these premises for comics that were popular but not good and uh, building upon them in ways with, with in ways that matter. Okay, and then uh, there's an Ironheart series coming out, which uh, follows this character named um, Riri Williams, who's going to be played by an actress named Dominique Thorne. She is a, a young black girl who is a genius inventor who creates a suit of armor that rivals Tony Stark's. Um, so that seems like it has some pretty significant implications moving forward. Yeah, there's uh, a, there's... Um, in that comic, Ben, when she's first introduced, she was introduced uh, when Tony Stark was dead for a while <laughs> in the Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. And 
after she builds her suit, she is mentored by an AI version of Tony Stark in a garage who uh, ends up oh, so sort of like the the glasses in yeah. uh, so I'm <laughs> in curious Spider-Man Far From Home. If this is how they keep Rob Downey Jr. in the MCU is it by having him um, be an AI that helps Riri on her journey. Oh, wow. See, that would be the perfect way to keep him in there because it wouldn't necessarily lose the emotional heft that you, uh, that they, you know, the the emotional um, uh, goodwill that they built at the end of Avengers Endgame. If it's not actually him, then maybe they can sort of work around that. So I I like that idea. I mean, in terms of like a business decision, I don't know if I like it creatively, but we'll have to see if if, uh, Downey, you know, makes a couple more Doolittle movies or things that just completely (laughs) tank and he decides, okay, you know what? I actually do want to return to Marvel. So Uh, Ben, can, Uh, can I, um, break your brain a little bit yes please do uh, in, in the comics when tony stark is dead for a while and he's an ai training ironheart uh, ironheart's still around uh but tony stark like most of the comic characters got better and he got better by having his ai consciousness essentially cloned into a young body of himself so tony stark's now in his 20s again in the comics um so wow my question is how long do they recast baby iron man and bring oh, back god. Stark cloned and ready for more movies well, you said you were going to break my brain, Jacob, and I, I do not have the bandwidth to even think about that right now. We still have some stuff to get through in the in this the rest of this episode. So, uh, God, wow, that is <laughs> that that'll have to be a topic for another day. But um, man, something to think about for sure. Uh, okay, the last uh, I guess new show in this onslaught is uh, a series called Armor Wars, which features the return of Don Cheadle as James Rhodes, aka War Machine. Um, this is a classic Marvel story about Tony Stark's worst fear coming true. What happens when his tech falls into the wrong hands? Uh, so we've seen, you know, the idea of Tony grappling with uh, his own technology and and all of that in the MCU already with things like Ultron and that whole storyline. Uh, but this, you know, now that Tony is gone, it seems like somebody else might be able to tap into you know, potentially his uh, reservoir of uh, of technology there. Um, Jacob, is this based on a, a, a big comic event? Do you know anything about this? It is based on a comic event. One I have not read. I can't speak to it. Uh, but this feels very much uh, like we got Don Cheadle. People like Don Cheadle. We got an mm-hmm. infinite bucket of money. We don't have room for Rhodey in the movies anymore. <laughs> Go give Don Cheadle a Disney Plus show. Go do it. Come on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's sort of the feeling I'm getting as well. All right, so let's fire through these odds and ends that I've I've compiled here. Uh, there's a Chip and Jail, a Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers movie that is co- uh, coming to I think Disney Plus that is going to star John Mulaney and Andy Samberg. Uh, I mean, just a plus Chef's Kiss casting on and that the director front. Ben, the director directing those two. Uh, is it uh, Akiva Schaefer from The Lonely Island? Is that right? Uh, yes, from uh, Pop Star and um, Hot Rod. Directing John Mulaney, Andy Samberg is Chippendale. Ben, I loved Chippendale Rescue Rangers as a kid. I Me loved too. So much. I don't know if it holds up. I've been watching since I was a small child, but Mulaney and Samberg and that director with Chippendale. I, ben, I, I'm not one to give myself nostalgia very often, but I am falling into nostalgia right now. Yeah, this one sounds pretty great. And Seth Rogen is also doing a voice in this too. And I, I wonder if he might play Monterey Jack, which is the, uh, you know, the, the sort of sidekick character who, who is a, men, a member of the Rescue Rangers gang. Um, so yeah, that sounds, uh, you know, as exciting as a Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers movie can sound. Uh, I think they're doing a good job of putting that one together. Um, there's an alien TV series that's coming to FX. Noah Hawley, who uh, created Fargo, uh, is going to be developing and, and sort of running this thing. Uh, Ridley Scott, of course, is is on, you know, in talks to executive produce. So you can't really make an alien thing without Ridley Scott these days. Uh, 
I believe this is supposed to be the first alien property or, or whatever. Yeah. Movie game, whatever to be set on planet earth. Um, Jacob, I know you're a big alien fan. What do you think about this? Uh, I'm glad that Disney is doing something with alien ever since they acquired 20th century Fox and they got their majority stake in Hulu and took over Hulu. Cause you gotta remember they have an entire segment on Hulu, <laughs> this Disney investors panel, uh, because they, they freaking own Hulu too. So, the idea that uh, FX and Hulu and 20th Century Studios and Disney are all circling the wagons on Alien and saying, yep, this is something worth fighting for, even in an era where Disney has its own image. It could easily say, well, Alien doesn't fit in the Disney umbrella anymore. We can mm-hmm. keep it as a legacy title, but who cares? You get to Holly, who's an interesting dude. I, I like, I'd say, 75% of things of his that I've seen. Um, and putting on FX, which is a network known for taking some bold, strange chances with his stuff, uh, I'm really excited to see what happens to this. Uh, I I really, really hope that this is given the same attention to quality and money and value that all the Marvel Disney Plus shows are given. Yeah, I think this one has a lot of potential. Um, and I'm right there with you on Holly. I think maybe even like a, a little bit smaller percentage, maybe 60% of the stuff that I've seen from him, I really, really like. But when I like a, a Noah Holly thing, I like it a lot. So hopefully uh, this Alien TV series um, is right up there. So um, in terms of Hulu, there's also a couple other things. Uh, Handmaid's Tale has been renewed for season five. I mean, I, I honestly think they shouldn't, they should have stopped after one season because that's how far the book went. And now they're off into this, you know, zany territory of like, what the hell is even going on in this show now? Um, but uh, they're, they're bringing it back because it's like the biggest Hulu original series uh, that has ever existed. So um, my favorite I, I guess, part of the Disney investor event, Ben, was when they had a Photoshop that showcased all Disney brands together, and it was Elsa and Offred next to each other. <laughs> God. Yeah, I mean, for people who know what The Handmaid's Tale is about, that's a, a pretty brutal uh, juxtaposition there. Um, and then uh, one little, like, I guess, interesting piece of, of news that, again, was sort of, like, tossed off was that um, Hulu is going to be exclusively releasing uh, new Hulu original movies that are going to be developed by 20th Century Studios and Searchlight Pictures. So, so far, Hulu has just been essentially an acquisition factory. They've they've um, made a bunch of original shows, but in terms of Hulu original movies, most of the stuff they've done has been pickups from other places, other production companies, whatever. And now it seems like they're actually going to be devoting some significant resources uh, from places like 20th Century Studios and Searchlight Pictures into building their own movies from the ground up, um, which is exciting to me because it, it feels like it's one more place that filmmakers have to go um, to to get their projects made. Um, for adults. But, movies for adults is the important yeah. thing for me here, honestly. Yeah, exactly. And and it won't have to yeah uh, live on Disney Plus in the same way that, you know, uh, something like, I don't know, Noel or some sort of family friendly thing might have to. It seems like Hulu, they're actually able to take some chances. And it, it just seems like over the past few years, Jacob, like Hollywood has been getting smaller and smaller in terms of like all this consolidation. And, and it just seems like options have been taken off the table for filmmakers. And I'm glad to just have one one door open back up for them. Um, so I, I don't know what kind of work this is going to result in but i i have hope that at least there's a chance now um that you know maybe we'll get to see if even if there's only one great movie that comes out of it that may not have been made uh at any other studio or something i think ultimately it will have been worth it so yeah and um, they specifically mention is the films that inspired this decision that were hits on hulu uh run palm springs and bad hair 
and if those are the movies that make you say, oh, Hulu is viable for a platform, those three unique, special, like one-of-a-kind style movies, mm-hmm. that's what they're going to say to 20th Century Studios and, and Search Studios, make these for Hulu, make stuff like this. That's something I can really get behind. That's actually gives me hope that this is not going to be some tossed off BS. It's going to be make more Palm Springs, make more movies that are special like this. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, So the last article that we have is just a complete list of all of the updated Marvel, Lucasfilm, Pixar, and Disney animation release dates. So I just wanted to compile all of that in one place for anybody who is like, you know, listened all the way through to this episode and wondered, okay, wait a second, when can I see X property? Uh, We have all that information written out for you uh, in in one easy to read article. So uh, that is the last article on uh, in the show notes. If you want to just click on that, you'll be able to find a a very easy calendar. And more uh, ice age, more nitrogen, more yeah, and there's tons, all those things you wanted, all the things you, yes, you listening demanded. (laughs) Yeah, three men and a baby. There's tons of stuff that we didn't talk about, um, but all of that is is listed in the uh, in, in this article. So, Jacob, we did it, man. We we got through all of this Disney stuff, and um, I, I'm I'm yeah excited about. I would say a good half of it. Uh, what what do you think now that we've uh, hit the end of the road here, and and now that we've talked through all this stuff? Um, are your is your level of excitement about this stuff? Uh, higher, lower, or the same as it was when we started this conversation? It's the same. And the answer is okay. that I'm really excited about this stuff. I, I think that for better or for worse, Disney bought the people making the mainstream stuff I love. They bought Pixar, they bought Marvel, they bought Lucasfilm. And those are companies that make things that I love. Yep. And it, it sometimes pains me that they bought the things I love. But, you know, as a conversation we can have, you know, for another day, we touched on it earlier, but I, I'm not going to apologize for being very excited about a lot of these, a lot of these projects. All right. So that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, the show is published three times a week on uh, SlashFilm.com, and it brings you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. I, I encourage everyone to go to SlashFilm.com. We have a ton of great features and reviews and all sorts of things up there right now. Uh, You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate that. Uh, Tell your friends, spread the word about the show. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all on Wednesday.